Haley Bellinger has been important for like Edwards, you know. If you don't know, like all of our stuff is in the trailer in the back. Uh, we drag a trailer over to uh, the square for our office over there and we stick it in the parking lot and, um, and we drag it back over. We all drag it to the park, which is a lot of fun. Uh, but we've been looking at space and I mean, we looked at so many spaces over the last eight years, nine years, we've really been looking. Um, that is crazy, it's crazy. But we happen to be looking at the shape right now that might be a really good fit. Um, and we're coming up on a time where uh, we are able to have a conversation about that space. So I wanted to invite you guys to be praying about it, about the space. Um, and I don't know, Mike, what do you think? I mean, the location, does that matter? I, I think it's a good location. I no, I mean, here, should tell everybody like, what we're looking at? Yeah, that's kind of how I was feeling, but I didn't want to just jump ahead. We have a building uh, search group here who's been kind of uh, starting to meet and get their head around what we're trying to do. And, um, but we, we were looking, we looked twice at what the dance house, um, which is out towards Greenville Way. Um, that building, that used to be the Church of Christ here. And uh, so it was built, purpose built as a church. Um, it's kind of a multi-purpose venue. And we've been wanting to see it twice now and kind of walk through it and see uh, all the it's real basic, it's super cool that way. Um, like a box with no boxes on it. But <laughs> um, and on the land out there. So uh, anyway, I want to invite you to be praying about it. Can we actually go on as far as to start talking like authors with them and stuff, work out logistics, how that work? I want to invite you guys to be praying for it. You know, we have had a building fund at Family Bible since we started, as far as I know. Um, definitely since I've been here, we've had a building fund. And we didn't, I didn't start when I was here, but it was before I got here. Um, and people have been faithfully, faithfully a long time for that building fund. And so I just want to say thanks for these contributed over the years of the building fund. And, uh, you know, we're, we're uh, trying to figure out if we have a deposit <laughs> on the building. But anyway, so we pray about that. Um, and I just want to, uh, I just want to pray, um, because again, it's easy to think, you know, what are they, what's going on? We look at so many spaces and nothing is just right. We've come really close to a couple properties and just didn't get it together for whatever purpose. Um, so we're wondering if this is the, the purpose, this is the time that God has for us that space. I want to tell you that at least three weeks. I mean, we looked at it a month ago, but um, we looked at it again a couple weeks ago. I think we did, right? That's what we looked at it again. So. If you want to chat about it, if you want to chat about the space, uh, Mike D, any of you can remember myself, and then I'm not going to tell people out here, but my bride, Chris Dempsey, I'm going to tell you about it, and Seth Kramer. Um, you can chat with them. They have all the inside information, what's going on, and what we're looking at, so if you have, you know, interest in that stuff, um, we would love to do that. I would love to share with you. So, um, but I'm going to ask you to pray with me. If God would kind of you know, show us purpose in that and, and show us what he has for us because it's, it's a big, uh, that's a big change if we, if we uh, act like so. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you that you are um, higher than the heavens above. You are bigger than the entire earth, Father. This is mind-boggling to me. Um, that you spoke the universe into existence, and that we, we have this little patch of dirt here on this huge rock in the middle of the solar system, in the middle of the universe that you created for your glory, for your glory. Father, we just uh, praise you and thank you for that. We pray that uh, we are the people who are glorifying your name, like with our lives, that you're on our lips, in our hearts, and on our minds, and in our lives, and live out with, uh, as Chris said this morning, I'll with all of our friends everywhere in the world that we would be glorified to you in those places and times, and that you be made known uh, amongst the people. I probably believe that you are not unique in your revelation to us. We believe that uh, you made us and you know us, and uh, therefore we can glorify you because you revealed yourself to us. 
uh, that we have no ability to discover on our own unless you would show yourself and be known. And we thank you you've done that work. And Father, we pray as a church family, we've been, you know, we've been vocal for a long time, so I saw that Bill at home. Uh, I pray, Father, that if, if uh, you were your candidates with the dance house, uh, you would move in that direction. We pray for the owners of the dance house and transition they're going through, the owners of the building, and everything passing, Father, to your glory, that you can make known and that, that uh, they be blessed as well, Father. So help us to discern clearly, um, act boldly, and live um, passionately for you that God. Uh, that we might come to know you better than others might come to know you through the experience of acting with this faith. So help us do that work, Father. We love you so much. You have loved us to all we deserve. And so we pray and thank you for everything. And we ask you to show us what's next for us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so we're going to jump into uh, this week's continuation of the book of Acts. We've been in the book of Acts for a minute now, and uh, we're going to continue in the book of Acts for the foreseeable future. And so, uh, if you know us, you already know this. Today, uh, we're going to jump into Acts chapter uh, 10. I'm going to pull up the slide here. I didn't check my clicker this morning. Hey, pretty good. One more. There we go. Acts 10, uh, page 756, if you're looking at one of our. Today, we're going to hear the story of three people. It's really interesting because if you read it, I don't know how you read the Bible, if you read it chapter to chapter or whatever, it, 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 it um, you know, those chapter and verse markings weren't there, the original letters and texts. And so if you read it that way, we kind of like chunk everything out. But uh, really interesting, it's really interesting to read the scriptures in context because then you begin to see connections. And today we're going to hear the story of three people's lives and how they were radically changed by the reality of Jesus Christ. Right? And there's some common threads that I think are going to come up when we're talking through the text. Um, but we're going to read here in Acts chapter 10 this morning to get started. Acts 10 verse 1. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need. He prayed to God regularly. One day at about 3 in the afternoon he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel said, Your prayers and gifts to the poor come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching that city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. 
This then happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter wondered about these things, the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. I'm going to pray again for God's revelation to his word. Father God, we thank you so much for the truth of your scriptures. We pray that it would be instructed to us this morning that we would know you better because we look at your word. We pray, Father God, that you would inspire us to understand it. We believe you inspired it to be written and recorded and even passed down to us. And so, but even with all that, Father, it's no good to us if you don't inspire us to understand it. We're utterly dependent on you. So would you show us truth in your word today? Would you help us to connect the dots of the lives of those who come before in our own? And most importantly, to you, our repentance to you. May you be glorified. Open our minds and our hearts to your truth. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. That's probably a story that you've heard before, right? This, um, this, either, I don't know if you've heard Cornelius' part of the story. I think many people get hung up on the Peter side of the story. We like Peter, right? Peter's in the Gospels. He's a pretty cool dude. He did a lot of cool stuff with Jesus. He makes a lot of mistakes. We can relate to Peter, but then he becomes the hero of the faith. So that's kind of our hope. Hey, maybe someday I'll be like Peter, right? But there's another guy named Cornelius that we don't think a whole lot about. And as a matter of fact, and if you're following along closely the book of Acts, you'll know, well, I skipped something. Because we didn't end in Acts chapter 10, verse 1 last week. We ended a little earlier. I told you we're about three people and their encounters with God. And so we're going to actually go back and look now at Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Because even if you've heard Cornelius, it's easy to think well, that's the story like, of its own. Cornelius, yeah. This is what the word says. Verse 32, chapter 9. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Luda, how it's pronounced, which is crazy to me, but Luda, where he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic, Aeneas, Aeneas, I think. I was going to work so hard to get pronunciations right today. A paralytic who had, had been bedridden for eight years. I'm going to call him Aeneas. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of uh, take care of your mat. Or he says, get up and make your bed, is what he says, right? And immediately Aeneas gets up. All those who lived in Luda, is that right? And Sharon or Sharon uh, saw him and they turned to the Lord. So this is the first person that Peter encounters. The reason that I felt we could stop there is because we've been talking about the conversion of Saul, right? What happened to Saul? And, and his being struck blind. But then they're just returning to the you know story of Peter, what's happening in Peter's life. And Peter's traveling about the country. And he went and he visited this uh, place called Luda. And uh, but this is what I want to say to you, and this is the first blank today, because I was struck by this idea. Peter's life is interesting to me. I spent a while watching the book of Acts, but Peter certainly has some unique spiritual gifts, right? Like you've seen Peter some amazing things by the power of the Holy Spirit that are beyond his ability, but it seems unique to Peter, the things that he can do. But here we see Peter almost functioning in like an ordinary way, going about the country. And this is what I realized. I'm looking at it. You know, Peter was a disciple of Jesus, right? He was a disciple before he was an apostle. It's easy for us to think, well, Peter's an apostle. No, he started out just ignorant like you and I, right? Like he just didn't know anything about Jesus or the truth or nothing. And then he became to learn, that's what the type means, you're a learner, and then he became one of the sin and the apostle. Well, here's the deal, right? 
the disciples, this is my theory here, the disciples look for miracles. You see, the book of Acts has been filled with miracles. And it's been really interesting to read those and go, wow, what's going on there, you know? Like, how is that working? We saw with Jesus' life, of course, that it was a sign that he was God that was part of it, right? Remember, sometimes he performed miracles because people thought it was harder to do that than forgive sins. And he was claiming he could forgive sins. So he said, he's yes, we can watch what I can do. It's not a good deal with healing people. Um, and then we see that continue on with the apostles and the, and the disciples, and they begin to, and the, um, even the, uh, the deacons, right, the servants of the church, and they begin to always, though, here's the point, glorify God. Like, that's always the point of what's happening. See, a lot of times we celebrate Peter, we miss the point that we think, well, that's, you know, all that be like Peter. That's not the point. The point is to glorify God. And it seems to me that Peter is always looking for the next miracle. Not for the sensational, but the see, this is where I want to find it. Okay. I want to find a miracle as a place where God is working in extraordinary ways, in ordinary lives. And where do I get this from? It says it very subtly there, there he found a man. He was going about the area. You see, as he's traveling around the country, he went to visit the saints in Luda, and there he found a man. There's some idea that he's looking for these opportunities, these miracles that are happening in his life, in the lives of others, maybe even in our own. And he has a heart toward God and a mind toward the truth of the kingdom, and he's watching what's happening, what's happening. And here he found a man named Aeneas. Now, one they can say, think about it. I don't know. I love the word found because it's the root, I told you before, I'm going to tell you again, for Eureka. It literally means, I found it. Um, to give you some ideas where we see this in scripture, it's told, when Jesus tells a story about the man who finds the treasure in a field, then he goes and sells everything he owns to buy the field so he can have the treasure, and the reason is because he found it. You remember that Jesus told the story about the man who was a jeweler and who was looking for the perfect pearl. And when he found the perfect pearl, he barely had to, to buy it because he found it. You see, that's the kind of finding that Peter's doing. This is it. This is it. He's looking for miracles. And here he found it. He found this man who was in this condition that God wanted to change. Now, I want to talk for a minute because this is crazy to me, but... I want to talk a minute about how he does it, how he interacts, because it seems so foreign. He finds a man, a paralytic who's been fed in for years, and he knows he's found it. I would love to understand that more. But this is what he says. Aeneas, Jesus Christ, heals you. He didn't talk to the guy, we don't record it. He didn't have a conversation. He saw it, and he said it. And this is interesting about what he did here. He said, Jesus Christ heals you, which Sounds almost like it's a done deal. He, he didn't say, Aeneas, Jesus Christ is going to heal you. Like he didn't say, Aeneas, Jesus Christ wants to heal you. By the way, let me go to a point here. Uh, Christ is not Jesus' last name, it's his title. So, so he's saying, Jesus, the Messiah, the appointed one, the promised one for Israel, heals you. So he didn't say healed you like, you know, already done. And he didn't say, he's going to heal you. He said, heal. I think that's interesting. Why? 
Because there is this way that Peter spoke into Aeneas' life, and that's not his name, I wish I could say it right, but this way he spoke into his life, there was a fact about what God is doing. Or a fact about what God had already done, but Aeneas didn't know it yet. You see? He just said it. He saw the I found it. And he said, hey, Jesus Christ heals you. Matter of fact, I think you can read that all three ways. I think you can read that he's saying, Jesus Christ has already healed you. Jesus Christ is healing you. And Jesus Christ is going to heal you. Now, unless you think I'm making a I'm moment, and maybe you say, I am. I'm looking to this guy's name before today, and it's not me, it's A. I think it's a lot of really weird pronunciation for us Westerners. But, Unless you think of him out of this problem, the very next thing he does is he commands this guy to do something that requires the healing. Right? Because you see what he said when he says, Jesus Christ heals you. He says, get up, take your mat. Get up, make your bed. Guys, been been for eight years. He saw it and he, he saw God's healing and he said that and then he commanded. You see, there's something in the Greek that's like, it's not a passive thing. Peter wasn't saying, you can feel up to it, or whatever. He's saying, get up, make your bed. Jesus Christ heals you, get up, make your bed. And then what happened, right? Eventually, he has got up. Well, months, years later, that's not what it says. It says, immediately he got up. Immediately, I guess he also made his bed. I don't know if he said that. <laughs> You've been laying in bed a while, you might, might want to make it. I don't know if you're done. How profound is it that Peter proclaims Jesus Christ in the moment to a person in deep need as a fact? Why would he do that? I mean, do you think he's manipulating the guy? Do you think he's trying to trick the guy? Or do you think he's trying to say something that's self-evidently true? Jesus Jesus Christ heals you. See, disciples look for miracles in their lives. And Peter is walking around. And you know why one thing I like what one thing I love about this? Is that this fits very well with what Jesus said about go and make disciples of all nations. Because we always think about go and Jesus can say, go and make disciples of all nations. But there's a little thing in the text that I think is fair to be like this. As you go, make disciples on it. So, Peter is going anyway. And as he goes, he's looking for miracles. And now, again, he's not respectful for the opportunity to glorify God. Jesus Christ heals you. Opportunity to glorify God. Why would I say that? Look at what happened. It says, all those who lived in Luda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. God was glorified. Because of what happened to that man. Because of what Jesus Christ did for him. Jesus Christ healed you. What, what's the application in our lives? Like practically, right? And this is something that I want to think about a little bit. But um, we ought to look, we ought to be kind of people looking for miracles. You know? I'm not saying, oh, whatever, you know, like making stuff up. Please don't make stuff up. But when you see it, if you identify it, don't be afraid to say that's a miracle, you know? 
God's doing this in your life. He, he stayed up to people. State the fact. We ought to be the kind of people that believe in Jesus Christ that they expect miracles. It's a kind of that become vocalic and don't affect them. Maybe you're easy, maybe you don't. Alright. That's one dude. Two. Verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas. I always thought it was an unfortunate name. And all I'm pronouncing it right. That's probably because my own being scars. You know, it's a cool kid. He's called Dork. I thought it was the wise name, and by the way, let me tell about Dorcas. It means a seeing gazelle. Someone who's quick and sees things, right? Who can act, who can react, who can move. It's a complimentary thing, but I haven't heard any babies named Dorcas lately. It was a really good name. Who was, now look at this gazelle, who was always doing good and helping the poor. There's some markers in Tabitha's life. She's always doing good and she's helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and she died. And her body was washed and placed in the upstairs room. Lada, there's the word again, was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lada, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come back quickly. And Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the, wind all the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robe and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. So what do you kids, uh, you know, Peter happens to be close, right? Like a, what do you call it, coincidence, right? Or God meant it for that. He's kind of close, big deal, the disciples are there, Tabitha is the disciple who died, and the other ones say, hey, let's send for Peter and tell him, come over here real quick, we need some help. He shows up to the scene, and it's of abject mourning. You can just sense like all the, the hurt in the room. So much so that when Peter shows up, they begin to bring things to him that she had done. Have you ever been to a funeral and you put out some tangible goods that the person had held and touched or maybe even made? I remember going to some funeral with some beautiful quilts hanging up. Gorgeous quilts. Right? Or maybe some, I remember one time there was a guy who carved little wooden uh, cars, and he had all these little wooden cars, you know. Remember with my dad, it was a couple of these cars, were just worn out from playing. There come these tangible things to remind you of the person, and they were bringing them, the widows were bringing them to Peter, and saying, look at all she did, look at, and they were just grieving. Notice, they're not necessarily asking for anything, they're just grieving the loss of their friend. So Peter, in verse 40, sends them all out of the room. And then he got down on his knees and he prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes. I just want to stop right there for a second. Peter shows up. He happens to be nearby, right? And then he comes over there. He sees this scene. It's got to be just full of grief. Everyone's home. All this hurtful community, and then he just clears the room. But this is what I want to say, and I, I, I hope it's beneficial to you, because if Peter gets on his knees and begins to pray. I want you to get the visual of what's happening. He has asked everyone to leave. He's in the room with the corpse, and his decision in the moment 
His decision in the moment is to get him on his knees and begin to pray, to talk to God about what's going on in the scene. And why would I, why would I say, I know why would I get the feel, right? Listen, uh, I can see so many little things that I would think would be more important to do in the moment than stop and get on my knees alone in the room and pray. I can see him wanting to pray with the widows or pray with the disciples or teach them, you know, lessons or remind them of God's goodness or tell them that, hey, Dorcas is, is with Jesus now. You know what I mean? Like, this is, the saints have gone on before. I mean, there's so many other things to do. But in the moment, he says, please leave the room. And he gets on his knees and he begins to pray. And this is what I would say for God this right? But prayer is not a pet talk. Prayer is not a pep talk. I get a sense here from Peter that he absolutely needs the Lord in the moment. He absolutely needs God. I'm not even sure if it's about um, Dorcas at this moment. I'm not sure if it's even about the resurrection. I just think he comes to the Lord, right? And he's like, I need to pray. And I need to be left alone to pray. You know, somebody else did that a lot. Jesus. The whole world's going crazy. You know, pay attention. Go over here, go over there. And he would just go away and pray. Now, why would I say prayer? This is probably me functioning out of some kind of broken pastoral experiences, right? But have you ever prayed with somebody? You know, like you see a situation and you're, you hurt, you're hurting, you're concerned, you're, you don't know, and, and you begin and you say, you say, you know what, um, let's pray. Maybe someone comes to you and they say, hey, will you pray for me? This is what's going on, right? And then and, and you start to pray with you. But have you ever prayed? And you start to pray, and you're like, I hope I say the right words. You ever do that? I hope I don't offend this person. I hope I don't say um, something that's going to make it worse. I, I hope I don't make a claim that isn't true. I don't know, are you like that though? Or, or maybe you enjoy praying for people. You, you, you're very gifted and you're very, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, what, is it? what is it? Where you're, uh, you know, good with uh, words. And you're eloquent. What are we doing there? Have you ever prayed at dinner and you're like, I don't know what to say, I don't know how to pray. Right? What are we doing there? Are we taking seriously the fact we're talking to the creator of the universe, the knitter of our soul? See, I think that sense of the heaviness for Peter to clear the room and get on his knees, right? Like, it's serious. He could have spent the whole day just praying to each widow. You know, God's like praying, but what are the right words? He just goes, man, I'm going to talk to God about this. I'd love to know what Peter's prayer is like. I'd love to know. Probably just like one thing the same thing Peter. Maybe we need to not know. Maybe we need to, maybe we need to be a situation where we don't know what to say. We don't know how to say it. We might use the wrong words. We really, really need God. Like that's it seems like what's happening. Clears the room, he gets on his knees and he starts to pray. By the way, praying to me asking God for things, talking to God about things, it's like it's like uh, leaning in toward God, you know, finding out what he's doing or whatever. And then we have this Peter. 
that we're reading to know in the book of Acts, where he turns then, look at what the word says, turning toward the corpse. That's what it says in the Greek. Turning toward the woman's corpse. He said, have it. Get up. Again, that's a command. It's not a suggestion, thought, hope, wish and thinking. And she opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. Verse 21, 41 says this. He took her by the hand and he held her to her feet. And then he called all the believers and he called all the widows and he presented them, her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa. And look what the word says. Many people believe in the Lord. People stayed in Joppa. Peter stayed in Joppa for many days with a man named Peter's Simon Tanner. That's all a setup is Cornelius. Another healing, a miraculous uh, resurrection. I mean, you read that, he's so flippant about it, but she was raised from the dead. But in the middle of it, Peter was praying. I don't know if we pray like that. I don't know if you do that well. I'm not talking about myself. So now we have Cornelius. That's two. Right? When you look at the third, now I'll see if we can see some connections in it. There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. You've heard that before, haven't you? Right? Devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need. And he prayed to God regularly. We've heard that before. So he has something in, in, in common with his sister, Tabitha, um, or Dorcas. One day, about three in the afternoon, he saw a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, calling him by name. Oh, but I want to say one thing in a second here. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is the Lord? The angel answered, Your prayers and your gifts have come up before God as a memorial. Now send some men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner who has a house by the sea. See, it's all connected with Peter's staying there. I told you I wanted to say this text is interesting because it says over and over again a certain man, a certain woman, a certain place, a certain town. There's a word inserted there that I find interesting. It's specific. I think we ought to notice whenever God is referring to people by name, that that's not an accident, right? It's specific. So these are certain people, certain times, and specific individuals that God is talking to directly. Cornelius is a, a God-fearing man, but not only that, his family is a God-fearing family. And they've regularly given, um, they've given to the poor, and they've regularly prayed, talking to God. One day it says in the ninth hour he saw a vision. That's when this happened, right? It reminds me of whenever Peter was going to the gate called Beautiful at the ninth hour and the man was healed. So God gives instructions. Send some people to Joppa to a man named Peter. When the angel had spoke to him 
uh, when the angel that spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his uh, attendants, and he told him everything that happened, and he sent him off to Joppa. Okay, this is what I want to talk about. Cornelius is interesting because um, Cornelius um, wasn't Jewish. I don't know if you know this, but looking back where we're at right now, but everything so far has been happening in the Book of Acts has been happening amongst the Jewish people. Remember, Jesus said, "I came first for the Jew." Right? I came first for my people. He talked about being rejected by his people. And this is, by the way, don't mishear me. nothing about being anti-Jewish. It drives me absolutely crazy. I want us to always remember Jesus is Jewish. So don't let's not go off on tangents on it. But two things, though. Last we talked about the conversion of Saul, who was an enemy of God, who was Jewish, who was an enemy of God, right, and Jesus Christ, and he was converted radically. And you ought to get excited about Saul's conversion because it tells us some things about God and the gospel. It tells us that God can save whoever he wants, however he wants. See, if, if, Saul, if Saul hadn't been converted by Jesus Christ, you would think, well, if you weren't alive when Jesus was alive, then there's no way you're going to get to see or talk or hear from Jesus and all. But Saul breaks that pattern. But that's just one step for those of us who maybe didn't get to walk and see Jesus like the early disciples and apostles. But Cornelius is a whole different thing. Because Cornelius is even a Jew. He's serving the Italian, Italian regiment, and he's living. He's a godly, God-fearing man, a God-fearing family, but he's not Jewish. That makes it all the more radical, the fact that God gave Cornelius a vision. Right? I told you a few weeks ago that the Holy Spirit brings unity to the church. We're going to see someone that come up here today. But I want to talk for a minute about Cornelius. Because this is what really strikes me about this. Other than the fact that he gets a vision, is this. Cornelius' devoted life comes up before the Lord as a memorial. That's what the text says. Then verse 4. The angel answered Cornelius, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering to God. I want to just mention that because I believe that that helps us understand something that's maybe hard to get at sometimes. And that's this. Anyone can please God. Any person can please God. Right? Now I'm going to break that down a little bit for you. But notice his lifestyle. You remember in the, in the Old Testament, God was looking for the, the holy people. But what's radical here is Cornelius is in front of God's people, but his devotion, he was fearing God, God fearing. His devotion was getting God's attention. I love the imagery that, that his prayers and his giving to the poor was rising before the Lord. Like it was coming up. You remember like in the temple, the, the smoke offerings, right? Like it was rising to the Lord. Like this good life was rising to the Lord. Some other ways, you might not like the word please. You might be going, oh man, that's my theology. No one can please God. There's the whole thing. We're going to talk about it, right? But the reason those is anyone can honor God in our lives. You see, because sometimes we act as if we can't live lives without honoring, right? And so we say, like, oh, well, nothing we can do anyway because we can't honor God in our lives. But Cornelius breaks that mold. He says, no, God, God can be, you know, pleased with us. God, God can be honored by us. In our lifestyle, our choices. 
the way we live, what we believe. You see it here. Fearing God again before he was honoring the Lord. Or maybe a third way, which you may be more comfortable with this, you could say anyone can seek the Lord. Because if you think about really in this life, he's worshiping what he knows. Have you ever heard that before? Someone, someone has said to me before, um, well, what if that's all they know of God? Right? Is God pleased with that? Yes. Yes. Right? But the question is brought up with the idea of salvation. Is that enough for salvation? No. No. So when I say that anyone can please God in life, I don't mean that anyone can be saved. I mean anyone can please God by their right choices and by honoring God that, that they can um, bring, uh, you know, seek Him. They can bring honor to Him. Which is remarkable to me. The Cornelius, the Cornelius did this. So when I say they can please God, I don't mean they can please in the ultimate way because, because there's an issue we'll talk about. But he gets God's attention. He gets God's attention. See, often we think that um, we can't do anything to please God, um, but we can't ultimately satisfy our debt to God. The more holy you know God is, the more you know you can't satisfy the debt you owe him. Right? So no matter how honoring Cornelius was, his life, um, he, he, there was something where he was still seeking, like, and we see this in the story. But unless you think uh, that this is here, I'm going to share a few verses of scripture with you. Because it's funny to me to think about the fact that God delights in his people, that he's pleased by his people. We think of, oh, so many times we tell the stories of, of God who's so disappointed in his people, and, and rightfully so. He's disappointed. I get it. But there's so many times where God delights in his people. I don't want to share the few scriptures that I, I found about this. Psalm 104, 31 says, Let the glory of the Lord endure forever. Let the Lord be glad in his works. And that's us. We're his works. Um, how about this one? Then I was beside him as a master workman, and I was his daily delight, rejoicing always in him. So... Rejoicing in the world, his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. That's Proverbs. Remember we talked about King Solomon. A daily delight in the Lord. The Lord was the, the Solomon, the Lord's daily delight. How this one? Psalm 149. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people, and he will beautify the humble with salvation. I see that's interesting. Because that shows you what I'm talking about, that delineation, right? The Lord takes pleasure in his people, but he will beautify the humble with salvation. So he's delighted, but he's going to save them. Two different things. The perverse in heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in their walk are his delight. So he's pleased. One, one more. This is Isaiah 42. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. See, that's satisfaction. Behold the one whom my soul delights, is what he says. He will be, bring justice to the nations. And of course, that satisfaction comes in none of Jesus Christ. 
That's God fully satisfied, fully pleased in Jesus. So we can see that while we yet need salvation, we can honor God with our lives, and we, we ought to strive to do so. Cornelius does. All right. Picking up in verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey to the approach of the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and he wanted something to eat. And while he was while the meal was being prepared for him, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven being opened, something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth, or probably things, and um, birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Again, this is a very specific command to Peter. Um, and he says, surely not I, Lord. I have never eaten anything that is impure or unclean. We have Peter here now praying again, a good thing, right? He's praying up on the roof, but he gets hungry. And I love the imagery here. So while he's up there praying and he's getting hungry, uh, they start to make the food, but he's waiting. He can't eat it. He's waiting. And I don't know if you ever like been around food when you're hungry, but you can't eat it. But I think I understand why he's going to a trance. <laughs> so you kind of, and by the way, he's going to a trance, which is like an, uh, an ecstatic experience of some sort, right? It's not a vision, the same thing as a vision. It's some kind of ecstatic experience. He's on the roof, he's praying, he's hungry, he smells the food, because they're preparing the food, there's this idea that the food's coming soon, but he's hungry, and then he begins to have this experience where he has this, this ecstatic um, vision, I guess you could call it, uh, experience. And that vision is bringing food down because here's Peter hungry. He wants to do something. He's eager. And then God lowers down the sheep full of every animal. And he says, get up, kill, and eat it. It's here for the taking. Right? Take, take whatever. Don't be hungry anymore. And Peter, as hungry as he is, and as much as he's ready to eat, as much as is God talking to him, he says, surely not. No way. And he says this, I've never eaten anything common or ordinary. I've never eaten anything clean. I won't do it. No matter how hungry I am, I won't eat. And the, the spirit is, no matter if you're telling me to do it, I won't eat. I won't do it. Well, the voice responds to this and says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. That's the key that I want to talk to you about. You see, because this is the truth. God alone defines righteousness. God does. Peter wants to have his own definition of what righteousness looks like. He says, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Man. I'm not, I, I, my whole life I've been swearing that stuff off. I'm not going to, I know it's you, God. I know we're close and I know you, but I just can't know. And God says, look, if I made it clean, don't you dare call it impure again. And there's a lot of scandals for a Jewish man, for someone who's been devoted his, devout his whole life, to have this, this smorgasbord lower down and say, just eat everything. Just eat everything in there. And it wakes, it wakes, and it won't be the last half of Peter, it wakes this kind of self-righteous bent in Peter where he has to contend with it to the point that he wants to talk back to God about what God is telling him to do. But this is the truth. If God makes something clean, it's clean. See, God says, don't call common what I call pure. Don't call unholy what I call 
holy. Right? Don't call unworthy what I call worthy. Why? Because I'm God. And if I've cleaned it, it's clean. If I've, if I've said it's clean, it's clean. If I've allowed it, it's allowed. Because God defines righteousness. See, here's the thing we got to get through. The application is this. If God says something or someone is pure, blameless, spotless, holy, saved, redeemed, they are. They are. Because God decides. We don't get to refer back to the rule book, you know, call it, well, God, you know what he says back there. No, no, no. If God says it's clean, it's clean. That's a big deal. It's a big deal for others in our lives. It's a big deal for us. God says you are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ from your saved for saved. He says, I gave my son that you might believe and be with me forever. You, you believe you with me forever. God says that he's the only way. He's the only way. Mark will think about it, by the way, a little footnote. But after three times she comes down, we know the story, three times she comes down, there's this idea with Peter three times, right? <laughs> a good disciple, can't learn the first time. But the third time, look, what happens to she and stuff? Goes back to heaven. That's what's up interesting, right? I mean, all that stuff on the sheet, everything that God had lowered down is in heaven. We don't hear any more about it, and I know of. But it was taken back up to heaven where God is, because God had already sent it clean. God decides, defines who's righteous. Verse 17. When Peter, uh, while Peter was still wondering about what this all meant, the men that Cornelius had sent had found Simon's house and were staying outside the gate. And they called out asking Simon, uh, who was who known as Peter, that he was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, because I have sent them. And Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men said this, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who was respected by all Jewish people. A holy angel told him to come to your house so that you, that you should come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited them to come and stay in the house to be his guest there. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along with him. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them, uh, expecting them, and had called together all his relatives and his close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up, and he said, "Stand up! I am only ordinary myself." I love that Cornelius, that Cornelius did say, uh, the angel came and told us that you should come to the house and you should say what God told you to say. You should, you should say what God told you to say. So Peter says, I'm ordinary like you. And talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile. Now here's where the big problem is happening, right? Or even to visit them. Remember, he had been his guest. But God has shown me that I should not call any person impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objections. May I ask why you sent me? 
And according to this answer to him, four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer, here it is again, and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for a man, for Simon, who is called Peter, he will be a guest in the home of Simon Tanner, who lives by the sea. And so I sent uh, for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now, we are all here, listen, in this presence, in the presence of God, to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Now, we're all here, in the presence of God, to listen to what the Lord has commanded you, Peter, to tell us. Now we hear what the Lord has commanded Peter to tell us. Verse 24. When Peter began uh, to speak, he said this, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and who do what is right. You know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of everyone. You know that what has happened throughout Judea, beginning with Galilee and the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. They already know all these things. He said, you already know these things. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and Jerusalem, and they killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So now Peter is preaching Jesus Christ, alive, crucified, dead, raised to life, right? He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as the judge. That's the fourth thing he proclaimed. The judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, that's the gospel. Here's the thing. You might say, wow, Peter's knocking it out. But the truth is this. And this is what Cornelius, this is what's so amazing about Cornelius' story in my opinion. Is that God is at work in the unbelievers before Peter gets there. I said this to you last week in a different way, that God was working in the believers' lives, but God is at work in the, in the lives of the unbelievers before he gets there, right? They're fearing God, but they don't believe in Jesus Christ. They don't know the gospel. But Peter, when he's proclaiming, he says, you already know these things. Like, you already, you already hear earthly things that have happened. God is already at work. And I think we should take some encouragement from that. That God is already at work in the lives of other people when you approach them. The situation that you think right now is like undoable or unwinnable or unovercomable, that, that God is already at work in those situations. That He goes ahead. So much so that in, in verse 44, we're going to end here. Verse 44, Peter was still speaking these words, and while he was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Everyone. Who was it? All this family and the close friends, the advisors out. Let's go tell everyone there. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished by the gift of the Holy Spirit and that had been given and poured out on Gentiles because they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Worship you. And then Peter says this, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he orders that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and Peter stay with them. 
for a few days. For God has already worked in the unbelief flesh, right? But here's the last thing, and it actually it happened um, around 38, I think. I went right by it. Uh, but God's no respecter of person. God doesn't play favorites. This is what I'm closing with. This gospel is proclaimed throughout the world. One of the problems I see is people who don't believe is they think it's only for special people, only for certain people. Maybe you believe it yourself today, maybe you believe it's not for other people, right? But the, but what God reveals in Cornelius and Cornelius is faith and, and commanding Peter to go and preach the gospel. I mean, it wasn't like Peter had the option, he was told, you're going to go and you're going to do this. That uh, he doesn't respect people's titles. He, he wasn't thinking more of Peter than he was of Cornelius, right? He doesn't play favorites. And I often hear people say that, well, it's just your, your, your favorite. No, it's, it's God revealing to all people. It's not like, well, Peter's a real Christian, but Cornelius is playing on the VP, he's number two, right? Somewhere else. Says God is no respecter of people. And, and this is something that Peter realizes in it, right? Like, like it's a revelation to him. This is the truth. That God is concerned with what he's doing in the world, more so than what we think who we are in the world. This conversion of Cornelius is profound because it shows the links that God will go to, to in order to redeem us. How many pieces for the three people today? How many pieces did God move around? How many people did he put in certain places to lead to the moment that Cornelius could sin for Peter? And he could come. Because God was going to dwell the only can imagine to bring salvation for us. I don't know if that makes sense to you or not. But I pray that you would be taken as word that he's no respecter of persons. He's not impressed. He's pleased, but he's not impressed. But himself and his son Jesus Christ, this impressed. And this can salvation for us. I'm ask you to pray with me, and I don't know if you're believing me or not, but I'm ask you to pray with me if you're not. If you are, I'm ask you to pray with me that you would. Um, living that kind of boldness we think you're in the church. Father God, we thank you so much for this time to be able to thank you for the truth of your scripture, the reality of Jesus Christ, living, uh, crucified, buried, raised again, and then Father, let us forget coming to judge the living and the dead. So we've not seen the last of Jesus. He will be back before each of us, all of us, as judge. Father, today I, I pray God that um, those who are being drawn to you would just walk towards you, that they would be, you know, uh, drawn to you in that way. I pray, God, that you would uh, continue to do your work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that those who are reluctant to believe would come to faith, and those who are uh, struggling maybe believe would be uh, believing again. Lord, it's your world we live in. We make no claim for how authority and right or ability, but we claim Jesus Christ. Heals others, calling out. And our hope is ultimately in Him. Father, do you bless us? Would you lead us? Would you show us things that we need to do to be or to say to glorify you in our lives? Bless those gathered here and those who couldn't do it today.